this series called How to Live Through a Bad Day talking about the final statements of Christ on the cross. That Jesus is living through His worst day, arguably the worst, the worst day in human history. and Sort of goes through you know, the, the worst pain and suffering and uh, honestly of His whole life and maybe any other life before or after His. Just the worst day. And on, in the middle of that worst day and the pain and the shame and on, on that bad day, taking on the sins of the world, He's still powerful enough that the things that He says to us are teaching us. Could you imagine living through your worst day in the middle of a crucifixion, the most horrific ways of death, and still the things that you say are teaching you how to live through yours. And even though the events of His worst day are unique to Him, the principles that He taught us are not unique to Him. In other words, they'll help you through your worst day. And so we've been looking at those final, you know, this is what Jesus said on the cross, these final Seven things that he said on the cross. You have to go to all four Gospels to find them. And how do they help us, as Jesus is living through his worst day, how do they help us give us the tools to live through our worst days? Our theme verse is found in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and it says this. That keep your eyes on Jesus. And let me apologize first for my voice. I've been, I got some of your allergies. Y'all talked about having allergies, and I, somehow your allergies are contagious when I hug you. Anyway, so forgive my voice in the, in, in the interim. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who... Both began and finished this race we're in. Really, that's honestly, that's our, my prayer for you. It's not that you just begin. Every single Sunday, I'm going to give you a chance to start a relationship with Jesus. But my prayer for you is that you finish it. And this is what we've been doing, and this is what we'll do again today. I want you to study how he did it. This is the way you're going to live through your worst day, is to study how he lived through his. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. I can't tell you the number of people who lose sight in the middle of their worst days. That's when people most oftentimes get derailed in their faith. Is in the middle of a bad day, in the middle of a, uh, bad news, in the middle of things just not going right, and, and, the, and they get derailed. Jesus never lost sight of where he was headed. He had that exhilarating finish in and with God. And this is really my hope in this series for you, that like Jesus, who could put up with anything, you can live through your worst day. You can put up with, with anything. That there's nothing that will derail your faith, even though it could be your worst day. That like Christ lived through his worst day, he endured the cross and shame and really whatever it was against him. And now he's there in the place of honor at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says making intercession for us daily. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about those final statements he said. We looked at a few of them. The first one was about forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We said the first way you're going to live through your bad day is to forgive everybody who's trying to ruin your life. And how many of you have already put that into practice? Let me see your hands, everybody. I remember I got a call that day, somebody on our dream team who said, Pastor, you don't understand tears in his eyes. You don't understand the situation with my family. And, and, and because of that message, because of that idea that I can't live through my pain and struggle until I practice forgiveness first. I can't live my whole life harboring unforgiveness. I'm, I'm making it right. I've invited them over and we're working through that sort of stuff. You've got to learn how to forgive everybody. For, unforgiveness is a poison that you drink hoping it kills the other person. And so we talked about forgiving everybody who's trying to ruin your life. And then the second thing we talked about, actually on first Wednesday, first time I preached a, a message in my weekend series on our first Wednesday service, which by the way, speaking of first Wednesday, the Wednesday after Easter, the first Wednesday of April is going to be dynamic, y'all. I'm waiting on final confirmation to let you know. Hopefully by next week I'll be able to tell you about it. Uh, it's going to be good, good, good. You better plan to be at first Wednesday. So we talked that week about helping other people who are experiencing the same struggle that you are. That if there's other people 
who were beside you. Jesus is hanging between two criminals, and he reaches out to one of them and says, the, the criminal says, would you remember me? And he says, yeah, today I'll be with you. In, in, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. That he's helping somebody else. And if you're going to live through this struggle, you need to learn how to help other people who are experiencing the same struggle you are. That when you focus on others, it's amazing what happens to your own struggle. How you're able to live through your bad day. And then last week, we talked about not taking it out on those that are closest to us, but taking care of those who are closest to us. How many of you had to put that into practice in the car when you got in the car? <laughs> like not, not to take it out on anybody. I'm not sure what that is right there. Not to take it out on anybody. That's just making you feel better. Just flowers, everybody. Not to make you feel bad, but to, so that, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to take care of them. I'm not just going to take it out on them. I'm going to take care of them who are living through their worst day. And it may not be your worst day. Honestly, it may just be a bad day. Like some people are going, man, I, you know, I'm not living through this worst time in my life. I'm just living through a bad day. I be- let, me tell you, let me tell you about a bad day in my life. Now, this is, you're going to think this is sacrilegious, and I'm sorry if this offends some of you, but the bad day that happens consistently in my life is when I wake up believing God for a spicy chicken sandwich and Chick-fil-A sauce. Where you at somebody on that right there? And I, and I go through my whole day trusting God for spicy chicken sandwich. Thank you, Lord, for spicy sandwiches. I just want to thank you for the miracle that is Chick-fil-A and God's chicken. Come on, somebody. And then I drive, because we live in Bernie, and I drive to our closest Chick-fil-A, which, by the way, our next 21 days of prayer, we're believing God for a Chick-fil-A here. Amen, everybody. And I get to the drive through line, and I realize the lights are off, and I'm thinking they're almost closed. They're going to have extra. They're going to give me two sandwiches. The Lord has provided and doubled the blessing in my life. And I pull up only to realize it's a Sunday night, everybody. And the preacher side of me says, thank God, thank you for a godly couple. And the sinner side of me says, you suckers better open next Sunday. You better be open next Sunday because I wanted to. It, it doesn't have to be the worst day. It could just be a bad day when you just... You know, it just, it just could be that email that comes in on Friday. You know that one from your boss. You've had a great week, and then Friday at 2 o'clock, bam, there's that email, and you're like, I hate this whole company. I hate you. I've always hated this company. I don't even know why I do what I do here. In the middle of your bad day. How many of you have ever been in the middle of a bad day, and your bad day took a turn for the worse? There's an old expression, when it rains, it pours. My mom used to say it all the time. Just when it rains, it feels like it just pours, man. It just... And I used to think, well, Mom, that makes no sense. We live in the South. It rains all the time. Of course it pours. But the older I live, the longer you live, the more you realize it's true. Like sometimes your bad day can turn into a worse day. The statement we're going to look at today in the life of Jesus, sort of as we walk through that cross, as we walk through that, those about 12 hours, those couple of days together, this is really the time where everything turned. It took a bad day. He had already been beaten and bruised and crucified. He's already hanging on a tree slowly dying, crucifixion, death by crucifixion was not the nails in his wrist and in his ankles. It it wasn't the beating of 39 lashes on his back that tore open his skin to the point of exposure of all of his nerves and spinal cord and flesh. It wasn't the crown of thorn on his head. That's not how you died from crucifixion. Literally, it was asphyxiation. Slowly, you would drown in your own blood. And he's living through this absolutely horrific bad day And believe it or not, it turns worse. The Bible says it's about noon that day on Friday. Already having lived through this trial, already having lived through this bad day. And the Bible says suddenly around noon, the whole world goes dark. Literally everything in the world. Darkness covers the earth, the Bible says. The sun goes away. 
Now I'm living through my bad day, already suffering. It, it, it already hurts, and now it turns dark. Now I can't see where I'm going. Now not only am I hurting and struggling, and it's hard and it's painful, but now it's just taking a turn for the worse. I don't know if you've ever lived through a bad day like that when you feel like, man, this is bad enough, and then, bam, there's something else that hits you. Now I can't see where I'm going. And he hung in the dark. The Bible says he hung there for about three hours in the dark. His final breaths were in darkness. Maybe you know what that feels like. When that one phone call comes that you didn't anticipate coming, you thought, man, I don't know how this happened. Like what? That, that, that everything was going okay. And then I remember I, I, have, I have a friend who's in his, his 40s, and he's just a mighty man of God, honestly, really is. I've watched him over a, a decade or so of our friendship just give tirelessly to God's kingdom and build churches and give hundreds of, probably millions of dollars away uh, to missions. He's a successful businessman, and he's a pastor, and just God's call on his life, an amazing man of God. He went for, and he's low, he was 41, 42 years old, and he went for a routine exam that men go through when they're 40. Y'all know what I'm trying to say, everybody? I don't want to have to tell you what it is, but that's a bad day. You know what I'm saying? That's a bad, that's a bad day enough. And they call him back and say, Mr. Carney, this is, uh, listen, we found something in your colonoscopy that shouldn't trouble you. Not that big of a deal. We just think you have a few polyps. You know, you're, you're in your great health, excellent health. We don't think there's anything wrong. or You just need to come back and deal with these. Just come back in a couple of weeks, no big deal. And so he does. A couple of weeks later, goes back in and has a simple procedure. His family's there, and as simple as that procedure can be, and a little bit of discomfort and pain, but he's, you know, he's, he's lived through that and put his clothes back on, ready to go home. I mean, you know, it's over with. That's Okay, we got that handled, no big deal. Literally, like buttoning his shirt again, and the doctor knocks on the door. So, Mr. Carney, you need to get back on the table. I need to talk to you for a minute. He said, what we thought was a few weeks ago, something simple, isn't. And immediately when we took them out of you, we realized you have stage 3 colon cancer. And, and, and that was the end of the conversation. I mean, that was it. Maybe you know what it's like for that bad, like, like the knock at the door that tells you that they're gone. The, the phone call that says it's worse than we thought. The envelope that comes in the mail, that's the divorce papers. When you told everybody he was the one, now he's walking away. The bankruptcy papers where you put your whole life savings, everything into this business. You've worked your whole life for this. And now it's over. You're having to close shop. What do we do when our bad day turns worse? What do you do when it's bad enough and now there's darkness everywhere? I can't see where I'm going. Jesus is living through his worst day, and then it turns for the worse. And listen to what it says in Matthew, and here's where we'll go today. This is what he does. He looks up into the sky, Matthew 27, and he says, My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? In my opinion, I don't believe Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, 100% God, 100% man, the Son of the living God, God come to us incarnate. I don't believe he was ever more human than when he said this sentence. In 33 and a half years of his life, in my opinion, I think this was as human as he's ever been. Because this is the question I ask more than any other question. This is the question I get more than any other question as a pastor. 
Jesus looks to the Father, looks into the sky and says, Why? Why has this happened to me? Why is this going on in my life? Why now? It was bad enough and I agreed to go through it. And now this. Why did it have to get this far? Well, it couldn't be bad enough. The, the beating and the bruising and the, and the spear and, my, and the crucifixion and the crown. All of that could have been bad enough. And now there's darkness everywhere. I can't see where I'm going. Jesus does what I have done so many times and felt guilty for. And He looks into the sky and says, why? Why have you forsaken me? Listen, let me give you the big idea today, and then I'm going to help you through it. If you're going to live through your worst day, here's what Jesus is teaching you. Listen close. If you're going to live through your worst day, when it takes a turn for the worst, when it's bad enough now, and now it just it feels like it, when it rains, it, just, it comes all the way on me. Listen close to me. You're going to have to learn how to aim your hard questions at God and not at man. Aim your hard questions at God and not at man. Aim your hard questions... To the one who has an answer. When you can't find an answer anywhere else. When the doctors don't have a good answer. When the counselors can't. They've tried. They've told you. Have you tried this? Yeah, I've tried. Have you done? Yeah, we've done that. When nothing else makes it. When the books don't make sense. When pastors. I don't have any more words to give you. Aim your hard questions at God. I remember in Austin a few years ago. I was an associate pastor. Unfortunately, in my line of work, you, you get to meet people at their highest highs and their lowest lows. Last night, I got to celebrate with a great couple in our dream team and married them. It's the way it's supposed to be. They love God. They serve together. They're just a, they're amazing people. I got to be there at their highest high. And then, and then I get, unfortunately, I get the honor, and it really is an honor to walk with, with people in some of their darkest days. And I remember standing in, in the front of a chapel of a little, of a little funeral home. And the casket was about two feet long. And I had to preach the funeral of an eight-month-old baby. And I, I, today, I can remember that little 20-year-old mama. As I walked down after I did the best I could to say whatever I knew how to say. And, and we hugged. And the only words she, I think she spoke all day, honestly, were why. Why? And, and I didn't have the words. And honestly, I don't think I'm supposed to. And I think some of the reasons why you struggle in the hardest days of your life is because you're too afraid to aim your hard questions at God. If you were raised kind of like I, I, I was, you, you just think, man, I don't know if I can ask God why. I don't know if you've ever got that phone call, that text message, that email. It changes everything. And you look into the sky. The day hurts bad enough. And now you go, God. Why? Why this? It doesn't make sense. I'm in darkness and the pain is so hard. Why does it have to be this way? And listen, if you were raised like I was raised, or maybe you just have this misconception of God, I was raised to believe that I couldn't ask God my hard questions. That somehow it would be, you can't question God. Listen to me, look into my eyes, and do not misunderstand or misquote me, but you hear me very clearly. He's the only one you can ask hard questions to. Nobody else has answers for the worst days in your life. Nobody else has answers when you stand at the funeral of your mother. Nobody else has answers when, you, when you're by the bedside of a, a loved one who's been diagnosed. Nobody else has answers when you get a manila envelope with divorce papers. 
And so God isn't concerned about, God's not, listen, you don't shock God off the throne. You've never come to God with a question that God goes, I don't know. That's a good one. I think sometimes that we feel like somehow I don't have faith if I don't ask God why. Well, then Jesus must not have had much faith because when his bad day turned worse, he asked why. You can ask why, but you can't ask why of the people who don't have the answer. You ask why of the only one who's in control of it all. That if you're going to live through your bad day, you're going to have to learn how to not navigate my why. What do you think about? Why did this happen to me? Counselor, why did this happen? Pastor, why did this happen? Books, why did this happen? Dr. Phil, Oprah, anybody give me an answer. Nobody has an answer except God. So aim your hard questions at God. When, when, When you don't know where to go, go to God. When nobody else gives you a why, go to God with God. I don't understand this. Tell me why. And in the middle of your pain, let me tell you something. When God doesn't make sense, when there's darkness all around you, when your bad day just turned worse and the pain is so hard, let me give you some things you're going to do because you will not be able to see Him. So you'll have to do a few things. Write these down in your notes. Number one, when it's so bad that I don't know what to do, i got to trust His nature. i got to trust in His nature. Now, I I believed for most of my Christianity that God was an old, old white man with a really long beard, and he was probably Republican. None of that is true, by the way. (laughs) And I think he had a lightning bolt in one hand and a sledgehammer in the other. He was just waiting to get me. Anytime I messed up, you're saved, but buddy, just be ready, because I really kind of want you to go to hell. I really did. Honestly, I'm not exaggerating. I really believed that about God. He was just out to get me. It was in his nature to get me. And then I lived my whole life kind of looking up going, oh boy, what what next? What what now? How do you ask a hard question of a God that you're scared of? How do you go to God with a why when you're terrified of what he may say? No, no, no. Listen to me. You listen to me very good. If you don't catch anything else in this message, you hear me right now. If you're listening to this message online, you hear me right now. You can aim your hard questions at God because you can trust in His nature. Because His nature is not that He's mad at you. His nature is that He's mad about you, everybody. That God isn't mad at you. That He's mad about you. That He loves you with, the Bible says, an everlasting love. You know what else? Let me go ahead and tell you this right now. Don't ask me my opinion about it because I'm not telling you. But the Bible said He has a picture of you tattooed on the palm of His hand. That's what the Bible says. He got a tattoo with your picture on it. Not mama. He didn't write mama on His hand. Come on, everybody. Or a butterfly. Come on. He didn't get a butterfly tattoo. He got your picture on his hand. When, when, when somebody goes, God, who do you love? He said, let me show you. And he whips out his wallet and says, right here. I, they're in the palm of my hand, everybody. I love them with an everlasting love. I'm not willing that any should die and perish, but everyone should come to repentance. God is not out to get you. He's out to get you out of where you are. Do you believe that? Shout amen, everybody. That's the only way you're going to be able to aim your hard questions at Him. Is if you trust in His nature. 2 Corinthians says it like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He's the Father of compassion. And He's the God of all comfort. (laughs) He didn't say He's the Father of anger. And the God who's out to get you. That's not what the Bible said. He didn't say He's the God who's waiting for you to mess up. And the Father who wants to beat you. That's not what it said. 
He said he's the father of compassion. He looks on you with compassion. He cares for you, everybody. He cares about what you care about. He hurts what you hurt with. The Bible says this, that our high priest, Jesus, our high priest, he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, God feels about it like you feel about it. If you hurt, God says, I know that pain. I've been to that pain. That's compassion for you. And he's the God of all comfort. When you go through your worst days, you've got to trust in a God who's compassionate and there to comfort me. That's his nature. That's who he is. He's not mad at me. He's mad about me. He's not angry with me. He's not out to get me. He's not punishing me. You listen to me. I don't care what anybody else told you. You hear me. Let me declare this over you. You are not being punished for anything. You hear me? The Bible says after it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You look in my eyes. It is not judgment if you are not dead. If you're still living, God's still for you and with you and compassionate towards you everybody shout amen to that you, that deserved a better amen I'm being honest with you. he is not judging you. It, you he says after the death then comes judgment you're not being judged by God God's, God, God's, God's there to rescue you God's compassionate towards you until you breathe your last breath God says I'm there to comfort you that's his nature when you don't know what to do next you got to trust his nature here's the second thing I got to hurry you got to trust his promises when the pain is so hard you got to learn how to trust his promises look around at everybody taking notes they're the people that are going to heaven you got to trust his <laughs> you got to trust his promises no but really trust his promises you know why I tell you to take notes? Honestly, I know it's funny. I know I'm being funny. Let me tell you how. This is why you got to trust His promises. Because This is why you got to take notes. Because there's going to be a day when you go through your worst day and it's darkness and you don't know where to turn. And you're going to you're gonna pick up an old worship guide or pick up your notes and read through and go, Hey, this is what God said to me that day. I can hold on to the promises of God. Look at my eyes. You cannot trust your feelings. We live in a culture that is infatuated with our feelings. We actually have on Facebook, It's the question is, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling like giving up. That's what I'm feeling like. I'm feeling like I hate everybody on Facebook. That's what I'm feeling like. I'm feeling like y'all are all fake. I'm feeling like I'm a terrible father. I'm feeling like walking away from my marriage. But I don't live by my feelings. I don't trust my feelings. I trust the promises of God. God says He's for me. God said He's my healer. God said He's with me. He wouldn't forsake me. God said that He's there to comfort me and lift me. Come on, everybody. Shout amen to Y'all going to have to come to first service to learn how to amen. I'm going to quit preaching this way to y'all. Or I'm going to get an amen corner I pay to sit right down here to show y'all how to do it. There it is. I will. You got to trust His promises. Don't trust your feelings. Second Corinthians, Paul is writing. Listen to me. He says, no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes. In other words, they're for you. They're for you. God, most people look at God as a God of no. Well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. Listen to me. That is not the promises of God. God promises you a healthy marriage. Does that mean you can't cheat on your wife? Yeah. But the promise of God is you get a happy marriage, everybody. God promises you yes. And all you have to do, listen to Him, through Him, you got to say amen. In other words, you got to agree with God. 
Some of you need to learn how to shout amen to God. Not just to me preaching. But when God says, I'm the, I'm the Lord God that heals you. You know what you need to do when the doctor says, I'm sorry. It's cancer. It's bad. It doesn't look good. It's type 2 diabetes. It's, uh, you may lose the, you may, your eyesight's going. Things don't look good. The disease is getting worse. You know what you do? You go to God's word and you open it up in Isaiah. When it says, by his stripes we are healed. You look at that verse and you say, God, I agree with this. I'm going to shout amen to this because your promises are for me and I lean on those promises when I can't trust anything else. Say amen to that. I lean on that. I trust in His promises. That's why I want you in your Bible every day. That's why I want this church to be in love with this Bible. Come on, get you a Bible reading app. Read it every day. Get you, I don't care, a devotion. I don't care what translation. I don't care. Just read this word because you need it. The Bible said, your word have I hid in my heart because there's going to come a day when I can't find it because it's hurting so bad that i got to have it here. i got to trust His promises. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But you don't understand, God, I feel forsaken. Oh, yeah, I know. Jesus cries out in the darkness. I think He chose that phrase because He was actually remembering the promises of the Father. I think, that it's, I think it's not by mistake that Jesus said, Why have you forsaken me? Because He knew the Word of God. That I'll never leave you or forsake you. I think it was almost him reminding himself. Oh, oh, oh yeah, by the way. By the way. You may feel forsaken, but you're not forsaken. You may feel like I can trust his promises. Amen, everybody. Here's the last thing. i got to hurry, y'all. I've preached, I've preached hard to myself. Come on. Here's the last thing. you got to trust in his final destination. Trust in his final destination. I've been on a mission since October. And it's old school. And I'm kind of old school. And y'all know me. I... I have a little black bishop that lives on the inside of me. And he wants to come out so bad sometimes. And, and I know it's old school of me to preach about heaven. I know we don't hear that a lot, but you listen to me. I want this church, if this church isn't known for much, I want it to be known this, that we, this world is not my home, everybody. You, you go after success, you're in a church that believes God ought to bless you. you. You go after homes and businesses and cars and boats, and if you get a boat, call a brother. Come on, somebody. Like, like I, want you to, I want you to be blessed, but you listen to me. This world is not our home. This is not our final destination. The reason why you're struggling through your bad day is because you think this is the only way it will ever be. It may be this way for as long as you live, but this is not my only life. This is not my only home. I'm living for that world, for that life. I'm going home someday and probably soon. Heaven is our home, and I trust in that, that God is preparing a place. Listen to me. Heaven is better than earth. Heaven's better than San Antonio. Watch it. Heaven's better than Texas. Y'all, I know y'all Texans can't believe that. Now, there's some stuff that'll be, like sweet tea will be in heaven. That's a part of it, okay? So it makes it better. The spurs go to heaven. Come on, somebody. Amen. Kawhi Leonard is healed in heaven. Amen, everybody. <laughs> LeBron James doesn't go anyway I'm not going to say that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I didn't say it 
Heaven's better than this earth, everybody. You can't live your life for this earth. You can't live your life for this. If you, if you only keep your eyes on these 80 or 90 years here, you'll live your life miserable thinking it's always going to be this way. It may be this way for as long as I live, but devil, you just know this. I'm not living for this world. I, you can take everything I got. Job said it doesn't matter. You can take all my family. You, it's going to hurt. You can take my business, my cattle. You can take my health. But I just know this. I'm not living for this world. This world is not my home. My eyes are on somewhere other than this. And I tr- in the middle of my worst days, Jesus on the cross, trust there's a better day. He knew. The moment that he breathed his last here, you listen to me, there is no light, there is no tunnel. <laughs> I know some of you may have felt like you lived through an experience like that. I'm not taking away from your experience, but let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that to be absent in body is to be present with God. That you, the moment you exhale here, you inhale heavenly air. Come on, somebody. God, I feel what I'm preaching right now. You, you, you got to get your eyes on heaven. I don't care how bad this is here. You got to get your eyes on heaven, everybody. Paul, the apostle Paul, had a ton of reasons why he could have asked God why. He had, he was matter of fact, he talks about some of them. He one 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 of his epistles, he's writing about all that he's lived through, and he said five times. They beat him with 39 lashes. It was known to the Roman world that if, the, if you beat someone with 40 lashes, it was a death sentence. They would die with 40. Incidentally, they beat Jesus with 39 as well. Five times they beat the Apostle Paul just to the brink of his death. And then he comes back. He writes two-thirds of the, of the New Testament from prison. I'm not talking about prison like you see on lockup, everybody. I'm talking about the bottom of a cistern. Listen to me. In Roman jail, he was literally buried underneath the burial ground. That's where they put prisons. It was a cistern of water and sewage. There would be sewage from the city of Rome would go by his feet while he's writing the New Testament by candlelight. If anybody has a reason to question God why, it's Paul. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore... We do not lose heart. God, I love that. I love positive people. Everybody, let me just let me interject this right here in your life. You can't have a positive life with a negative mind. You know what I'm saying? Paul goes into this. He says, I'm not losing heart. I don't care what's floating. I know what that is floating down there. I don't even care. I don't care where I am right now. I'm not going to lose heart. Though outwardly I'm wasting away, inwardly I'm renewed every single day. This is the part I want you to write down in your notes or underline in your Bible. For our light and momentary troubles. The devil will tell you it's always going to be this way. You're too heavy. This is too much. The weight is too heavy. The pain is too hard. No, no, no. Paul said, no, no, no. You don't understand. This is light and momentary. I don't care how bad it gets here. It's light and momentary. Because it's achieving for me something that's beyond this world. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do you do, Paul? How do you live your life in your worst day, looking at that final destination, trusting in heaven more than earth? I'll tell you how. I fix my eyes on what is not seen, but on what is unseen. I don't fix my eyes on the stuff I can see because what I see is temporary. The doctor's report is temporary. The bankruptcy's temporary. You don't, say, you don't know, Pastor Mitch, like this is the end. And no, no, no. I'm not talking about temporary like weeks and months. I'm talking about your life is temporary. This pain is temporary. But there's something I'm living for that is eternal. It's bigger than this. And I trust in that destination. 
Here's the way I like to say it. Write this sentence down. Jesus experienced His worst on earth so that we could experience His best in heaven. Jesus experienced His worst on earth so that we could experience His best in heaven. So what do I do? Give me some practical things. i got to hurry. Give me some practical things during the why. How do I live through the why? How do I live through the worst days of my life when I'm asking God why, when I'm aiming my hard questions at God? How do I live through my why? Isaiah says it like this. I love this. Isaiah is a prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus is ever born. And he says this in Isaiah 63, in all of their suffering. Matter of fact, when you write this down, I want you to read this in the first person. I don't want you to say there. I want you to say my. Matter of fact, I want you to read it out loud with me. Every time you see the word there or them, I want you to say me and my. Let's read together. In all my suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued me. Come on, say it. In his love and mercy, he redeemed me. And he lifted me up. Now, I love this last line. Listen to me. And he carried me all of the years. Isaiah didn't say he carried you all of your months. He didn't say he carried you through a couple of weeks. He said, when I look back over my life, he's carried me all of these years. That in my hardest times, he's carried me. So how does he carry me through the why? Let me get, I gotta, I gotta hurry. This clock, I hate this clock. Turn it off. Here's the first thing. You gotta learn while asking why. Write this down. Learn while asking why. You got to learn while asking why. You got to learn a lesson. There's some of us who, who have lived repeated lessons because you haven't learned. There's sometimes I've gone to God with a test result and I said, okay, God, I learned that. Okay, buddy, I'm done. Okay, <laughs> don't let me go through that again. Lesson learned. But if you don't learn while you're asking why, you're going to miss an opportunity to grow. Hebrews says it like this. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience. How? Through the things that he suffered. You're going to learn some things about God that you didn't know about God while you're asking why. Listen to me. Look in my eyes. How would you ever know God is a healer who can work miracles if you never got a bad diagnosis? How would you know God could restore anything until your marriage was on the rocks? How would you know God could give you joy and peace unless you were in the depths of depression? There's some stuff while you're asking why that you'll never know about God until you walk through it. And then I learned something about God that I never knew. Levi Lesko, senior pastor of Fresh Life Church in Montana, the largest church in Montana. There's, there is, <laughs> there's more people that live in the hill country of San Antonio than live in the whole state of Montana, everybody. <laughs> this is the largest church there. They have multiple campuses all over, not just Montana anymore, actually Nebraska and Wyoming. And a very, very powerful, influential, spirit-filled, life-giving church in Montana. Levi Lesko is about my age. His firstborn daughter was born with a chronic asthma and respiratory disease. And she'd lived to five years old and they'd managed it and, you know, God had been good to them and they'd been able to learn how to manage this disease. But it was, I mean, it, it, it could get scary quick. But, but they felt like, you know, things were, I mean, she hadn't been sick. Everything had been on the up and up. She's five years old. He and his wife leave and go on a date night. They have a couple of more children also, and they have a sitter who's well aware of the condition of their daughter. You know, she's not chronically, I mean, just if we get this bad, that like you've got to act quickly because this thing can escalate. She knows exactly what to do. She's well prepared. She's babysat many, many times, this little girl. They leave to go on a date night. Halfway through the date night, they get a phone call. Listen, we can't, I, I can't make this asthma attack stop. 
Like I've done the inhaler, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. We've done the breathing treatment, and it's just getting worse. Levi and his wife turn around really quickly and go home. True story. He gets home in just enough time to see the babysitter doing CPR on his daughter. And he holds his daughter who dies in his arms. What do you learn in the hardest days of your life? When you ask God why, this is what he said. I love this quote. I found this and I said, God, this is exactly right. He said, pain is a passport that will take you places you couldn't get any other way. There's some stuff I've learned that I couldn't get any other way than living through this pain. There's some stuff about, he's written some prolific books about dealing with pain. You know why? Because pain is a passport that I've learned while asking why. God, what are you teaching me? 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing again. He says, in fact, we expected to die. He said, one of those times, you know, when I was shipwrecked and it looked like everything was going down, I expected to die. So as a result, I just stopped relying on me. And I turned to God and I learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Listen to me. When you feel like you're going to die anyway, there's only one person you can turn to. And that's somebody who can raise the dead, everybody. What do you learn in the middle of your why? Here's the second thing, and I'm hurrying. you got to love while asking why. you got to love while asking why. Who can I help while I'm hurting? Ask that question over and over. Matter of fact, this Easter season, I'm asking you as your pastor, listen to me. I'm asking you to be more evangelistic these next two weeks than ever in this year. I'm just telling you, I feel strongly there are people in your lives who are far from God that need the hope that is found in the resurrection. You're going to have to learn how to love while you're asking why. Who can I help while I'm hurting? Who can I help while I'm hurting? It's that second thing that Jesus said. Let's help other people who are experiencing the same struggle that I am. You listen to me. You could be the answer to somebody's prayer. There's somebody this morning who woke up and their pillow still wet from the tears they went to bed with praying for somebody like you to come along and say, I've been where you are. I know what you're going through. I'm in the middle of it myself. I'm asking why. And in the middle of my why, I'm loving while I'm asking why. Come on, who, who can I help while I'm hurting? Second Corinthians says, He comforts us all in our troubles so that, here's the reason why, so that we can comfort other people. Everything God's ever done for you is so you can help somebody else. You listen to me. I don't care if you believe this about this church or not. Some of you believe this church just about whatever I can get out of you. I promise you it can't be the further from the truth. I'm just telling you about the Bible. The Bible says whatever God's done for you, He's done so you'll do somebody else. We get so selfish as Christians. Well, God saved me to keep me out of hell. No, God saved you so He keep your whole family out of hell, everybody. So you could be a light to everybody. God comforted you in your troubles. Not so you could just say, oh, thank you, God. Boy, I feel better. No, no, no. He did that so you could help somebody else. When they're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. you got to learn how to love while asking why. And then here's the last thing, Henry. I'm late. I don't even care. I'm hungry, so I do kind of care, but not really. <laughs> you got to worship while asking why. One thing I love about this church, Henry, one thing I love about you, my brother, one thing I love, Brandy, my baby, one thing I love about Graylin, our team, everybody on this team, one thing I love about this church that will never change, if none of y'all show back up next weekend, please, I hope you show back up next week. we're going to be a worshiping church. If, if, 
if, if you want to go to a church that's a little bit more reserved, I get it. I understand. I'm just telling you, heaven's going to be a shock to you. Lord, have mercy. Heaven's got a choir. Come on. I think they wear robes. <laughs> and they sway. You know what I'm talking about? Like this right here. And they clap on beat. <laughs> All the white people. Even. <laughs> The Latinos lead worship. Yeah. We're going to be a worshiping church. You know why? Because I know. I know that when you walked in these doors of just a movie theater, I know you put your church face on. I know you put your smile on. But I know some of your stories and you're questioning why. And when you get to this church, the first thing I want you to know is I can raise my hands. And I can worship my way through this. I can cry and nobody's going to look at me strange. I cry all the time. I didn't cry as much until I started pastoring. Y'all make me cry all the time. I love to come to this church. I, sometimes I sit down here partly because I don't want y'all to hear me sing. Because <laughs> I sing loud and bad. But sometimes I'll look back at you and I know, I know your marriage is struggling. I know the doctor just told you it's not good news. I know you're struggling financially. I know you're questioning your purpose. I know you're asking God why. I know, I know school's hard. I know, I know you're struggling. And I see your hands raised and I say, God, don't ever let this church lose that we're going to be a worshiping church. It's going to get worse than this. If you think this is something, you wait till we get our own building, everybody. We're going to worship till we can't stand it no more. Because it's the way that you lift yourself up. Worship when you why. Psalms 22. Listen to me. This is the last thing I'll tell you. Psalms 22. The first verse. Look in your Bible. Read it when you get home. I don't have time. David is living through his worst day. And King David says in Psalms 22 and 1 what Jesus said on the cross when it turned dark. I believe, most scholars believe that Jesus was actually quoting King David. I think he was. Because David says in Psalms 22 and 1 in the middle of his worst day he's, he's committing adultery and he has the woman's husband killed who he's committed adultery with. Now listen to me men. It's one thing to commit adultery. That's sin enough. But when you got two women that are mad at you, your wife that you cheated on, and now your mistress, you killed her husband. Two women, that's a bad day. You hear me? That's a rough day. And he's buried in his sin. And he says this sentence. Psalms 22 and 1. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same exact words. Living through his worst day. And then you read on through the chapter. Read, read, read it tonight. You read on through the chapter. And he gets to the very end of the, of the chapter. And this is what he says. Same exact chapter. Same prayer. He starts with why. And he ends with this. Okay, God. I'll proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I'll praise you when I get to church among your assembled people. Praise the Lord. He's starting to preach to us now. In the middle of his own struggle, right after he asked God why, now he's preaching to you. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him and honor him, all you descendants of Jacob's. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. This is why. Because he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. Listen to me, City Hills. Look into my eyes. He has not turned His back on us. 
But he listened to their cries.